1: we go. Episode 626 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, August 4th, 2023. And my friends, we now are a week away from the Commanders 2023 preseason opener. Commanders at the Cleveland Browns, Friday night, August 11th at 7.30. Uh, The Browns on Thursday night played their preseason opener as we had the annual Hall of Fame game this year's matchup, Browns versus the New York Jets at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, Ohio. Did you enjoy the quarterback matchup that was on display? The Browns' Kellen Mond versus the Jets' Zach Wilson. Hey, whatever happened with the girlfriend drama of Zach Wilson involving Commander's receiver Dax Milne? Do you remember that From last summer. Uh, This became quite the thing, as you may recall. Uh, I read to you from the New York Post, July 11th, 2022. Quote Zach Wilson's ex girlfriend appears to be dating his college roommate, Washington Commanders wide receiver Dax Milne, after she seemingly accused the Jets quarterback of cheating on her with his mom's best friend. So, Zach Wilson was dating this girl, then Zach Wilson cheated on the girl by hooking up with his mom's best friend, and then the girl hooked up with Dax Milne. Uh, Hey, I don't know about you. I am on team Dax Milne in that one. He may not have done a great job as our team's primary punt returner last season, but uh, old Dax appears to have game in other ways. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hey, don't forget to follow this podcast if you're not already doing that, following this podcast is free, costs you nothing. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. Well, coming up next segment is a guest. Uh, The guest is someone who we unfortunately are not hearing from a lot right now due to a change in uh, his employment status, but uh, this is someone who we certainly should be hearing from given everything going on with the Commanders. Longtime Commanders insider Michael Phillips. Uh, Michael worked for the Richmond Times-Dispatch from October 2007 until just last month. He covered the Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders for years, and he's going to spend some time with us discussing our football team, including the uninhibited joy (laughs) that has been on display from uh, fans off the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group, uh, where Michael believes we are headed in both the stadium and name situations. Uh, who slash what Michael trusts more this coming season, Commanders quarterback Sam Howell or the team's revamped offensive line? Uh, the extent to which assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy has control of the offense. Wait until you hear what Michael has to say about that. Uh, And more. Michael Phillips, next segment, talking commanders' matters of both the off the field and on the field variety. Uh, Additionally, our next segment will have an update on the legal situation of linebacker Jamin Davis, who, you know, given this reckless driving conviction, may well be suspended by the NFL under its personal conduct policy. Keep that in mind. Uh, Also on the show, the Orioles, another win. Never forget. This is the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show that covers the O's, that has the courage to talk O's. Uh, But for the O's, a 6-1 win at the Toronto Blue Jays on Thursday afternoon to win three of the four games in the series. Starting pitcher Jack Flaherty, a tremendous Orioles debut, one run in six innings with eight strikeouts. The O's now have won 18 of their last 25 games. The O's now for this regular season are 25 games above 500 and have the best record in the American League, 67 and 42. We have a phrase for what be happening right now with the O's. That phrase is Orioles magic. A lot of magic in the air these days, right? We have Magic Johnson as one of the commander's top limited partners, and we have Orioles magic with the O's. The magical ball real baseball
2: Moves
3: when we start our runs. Nothing could be more exciting, nothing could be more fun.
1: Yes, sir. Orioles Magic. If you are an Oz fan, I don't know how you aren't having such a great time with this season so far. We'll see what happens, okay? I mean, <laughs> you know, there are no guarantees uh, over the final two months of the regular season and certainly come October, but uh, if you are an O's fan, you basically could not have scripted a better first four months and change of this regular season. You can tweet me at Algaldi, you can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. All right, I very much debated whether I should read this email that I'm about to read, but I have decided uh, to read this email. Email from Rich writes, Rich, I've been listening to you for a long time. I'm happy that the podcast seems to be working out so well. I'm leaving the DMV. It has been a hard year. I came down with a major depressive disorder. I did not understand how bad it could be. I lost my business of 17 years. I can no longer afford to live here. I started a GoFundMe. I'm moving to the northern neck with my dog and living in my RV. It's not what I want to do. I don't want you to contribute. That's not the point of this. I have lost interest in everything, but I still listen to your podcast. Sometimes you read one of my emails and it makes my morning. On the darkest of days, I still could count on the Al Galdi podcast. I'll still tune in every morning. Take care, Rich. Uh, Wow. Thank you for the email, Rich. Uh, I certainly want to wish Rich nothing but the best and uh, wish him strength and uh, clarity and uh, peace of mind. You know, it's interesting that I just got this email from Rich because... None other than Commander's receiver Terry McLaurin uh, just talked about his mental health struggles. Uh, He did this during a recent appearance on the Pivot podcast. Uh, This was really interesting from Terry. So it turns out that Terry had a really hard time with the death of former Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Terry and Dwayne, of course, played together at Ohio State and, of course, played together with Washington. Uh, Dwayne tragically died on April 9th, 2022. Uh, He was struck by a dump truck uh, while he was walking on a South Florida highway. But this was Terry on the Pivot podcast. Uh, This installment of the podcast dropped this past Tuesday. Uh, Terry McLaurin on Dwayne Haskins.
2: I knew when he left here under the circumstances he left, I just still believe like he was going to go to pittsburgh and have the opportunity to be everything that we all dreamed that he could be that we knew it was in in there and i started we were talking we would text and you started to see the growth in him you started to see the strides he was making in his personal life the work ethic that he was putting in and i think you know coach tomlin and that staff really did a great job of bringing him in and really helping him grow when i got that call it was just like time was slow and everything froze and i just something just I couldn't get over for a very long time because I'm like man you just never see somebody that young life's gone like that and and it felt unfair you know Mm -hmm. it felt devastating I was just thinking of his parents the people who really knew Dwayne at the core of who he was and it was a painful time because I thought we were going to, not only the success I thought we were going to have in Washington, but past that, I thought I was going to still get to see him possibly be a Super Bowl champion and the MVP and a father one day and a husband. And we looking back one day, we talking about Ohio state days. And I thought that was going to be a possibility and it wasn't. And so around that time I started getting into, you know, my therapy journey and my therapist really helped me to where I'm at a peaceful place of how do I keep his legacy alive? And I think that's why I touched on the lessons he taught me, the conversations we had and how you become a true friend to the people in your life. And so those are the memories on top of the championships we got to share together that I'm always going to hang on to. Anytime I'm in a situation with my friends or people I may not even know, I try to be as accountable and honest as I can with them. And also know that they could have that same relationship with me. Because at the end of the day, I think life is truly about relationships and the people that you can impact. And I know Dwayne impacted me, not just on the field, but off the field. And I I truly believe he made me a better friend and a better man.
1: Yeah, uh, powerful stuff right there from Terry McLaurin. Uh, Look. I'm not going to do the uh, sanctimonious uh, sports media person thing of you know, lecturing to you about uh, therapy or mental health or being enlightened or anything like that. Okay? I can't stand when people in my business uh, start lecturing uh, to people about how they should think and what's right and what's wrong and you know, the way that things should be. Uh, I mean, when it comes to therapy, therapy is not for everyone. Okay? You got to do what is right for you. But I applaud Terry for being willing to be open Uh, like that. And, you know, if what Terry said helps someone, anyone, then great. Uh, But rich man, know that you are not alone. And I'm sure that uh, I speak for the thousands of people listening to this and saying that uh, we are rooting for you. Uh, You have the power of this podcast, the power of the pod behind you. And uh, if anyone is so inclined uh, as to want to contribute to the GoFundMe for Rich, uh, email me and I'll send you the link. Again, uh, my email address is Podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, email from Cyrus on Ron Rivera initially not wanting to start Sam Howell at quarterback in the win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field at week 18 of last season. Uh, Ron, of course, did end up starting Sam, uh, at least in part because <laughs> the guy who Ron was going to start at quarterback, Taylor Heineke, uh, did not want to start that game. Uh, Taylor told Ron to start Sam, and Sam ended up playing well in that game. And what was his NFL regular season debut? Right, Cyrus? With Sam, Sam Howell being a complete question mark going into this coming season, I have been wondering nonstop about one thing, specifically why on earth Ron initially didn't want to start Howell in a meaningless game. I now have a theory about this. In summary, I think that Ron felt very guilty after the loss to the Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field, uh, mainly for benching Taylor Heineke. Couple that with the embarrassment of watching Carson Wentz do so poorly against the Browns and not knowing that the team could be eliminated from postseason contention with a loss in that game, Ron probably thought that he would get fired immediately by the new owner, not knowing at the time that the sale would take as long as it ended up taking. Ron realized, albeit too late, that Taylor was a fan favorite and wanted him to start in week 18 as a way to apologize for the benching, not even caring that the game was meaningless. Taylor, on the other hand, had to be the one to tell his head coach that the team should start Howell. So why would Taylor do that? Well, he probably knew that he wasn't coming back. He had already put together a good body of work. Why risk poor performance and/or injury going into free agency? He also hadn't played well historically against the Cowboys defense. If this is actually the case, it definitely does not reflect well on Ron, who upon making a poor decision to bench Taylor, let the emotions govern the actions with the team for the following game. That's the only way that I can make sense of what happened here. Howell clearly was not incapable of playing in that game. So the only thing left to assume is that Ron not wanting to start Howell was not a football-based decision and was more of the head coach's knee-jerk reaction to the embarrassment of the loss to the Browns. What do you think? Uh, Thank you for the email, Cyrus. I think that there is a lot of truth in the theory of Cyrus. I would, though, add this. I think that Ron Rivera entering Week 18 last season did not think that Sam Howell was totally ready to start an NFL regular season game. In other words, I don't think that Ron wanted to start Taylor Haneke while knowing That Sam Howell was ready to start. I think that Ron wanted to start Taylor in part because Ron did not think that Sam was ready to start. Remember what Ron's initial idea was start Taylor and then bring Sam into the game. (laughs) Ron's idea was for Taylor to be the starter and Sam to be the reliever. Uh, Ron, I believe, underestimated Sam, uh, making this yet another misjudgment by Ron at the quarterback position during his time as Washington head coach. Now, to Ron's credit, he did quickly pivot. Uh Ron just a few days later was telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam was being positioned to be the QB1 for this coming season. Understand the timeline. The win over the Cowboys was on January 8th. It was just 6 days later, January 14th, that we had multiple reports that Ron was positioning Sam to be the Commanders' QB1 for the 2023 season. Ron changed his tune rather quickly. Uh, And one other thing about Sam Howell's performance in that win over the Cowboys. To this day, I hear people discounting what Sam did in that game because it was a Week 18 game and because the Cowboys weren't entirely invested in that game, even though they went into the game still with a chance to win the NFC East. Look, all of that is fine, okay? And you do have to consider those things. But what doesn't get brought up nearly as much is that Sam did what he did in that game despite playing a Cowboys defense that was really good last season. Uh, Sam did what he did in that game despite having barely thrown the key Commanders pass catchers in practice in the 2022 season, let alone in games. And Sam did what he did in that game despite playing with a depleted supporting cast. The Commanders, for that game were without their top three running backs. Brian Robinson Jr. was inactive due to injury, and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick were on the reserve entered list, and the commanders were without a number of offensive linemen. Right tackle Cornelius Lucas and left guard Andrew Norwell were inactive due to injury. Uh, to say nothing of centers Chase Rullier and Tyler Larson and offensive lineman Sadiq Charles being on the reserve injured list. I'm not someone who thinks that Sam playing well in that win over the Cowboys guarantees anything, but fair is fair. I mean, people like to bring up the reasons to discount Sam's performance in that game. Okay, fine. But you also need to bring up the aspects of the game that made his performance even more impressive. All right, up next, Commander's Insider, Michael Phillips. All right. The commanders on Friday morning at training camp at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia, are due to be back to practicing in pads. The team on Thursday morning did not practice in pads. Of so Having practice in pads on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, that Wednesday morning practice ended up being about a two and a half hour padded practice. Uh, the Thursday morning practice, by the way, uh, did have a good number of fans in attendance. The commanders continued to draw impressive crowds for these open training camp practices. Uh, among those practicing for the commanders on Thursday morning was linebacker Jamin Davis, despite him having to be in court on Thursday afternoon. Uh, this off him having been in court this past Monday morning. Uh, all of this has to do with a reckless driving conviction in Loudoun County, Virginia. Jamin on March 28th, 2022 was charged with reckless driving. Uh, this for forgoing 114 miles per hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone. Well, the judge on Monday morning rejected a plea agreement for Jamin. The judge on Thursday afternoon rejected a revised plea agreement for Jamin. Uh, And so a new hearing was set, uh, this hearing for August 31st. Meantime, Sadiq Charles on Thursday morning was back to practicing of having missed time on Wednesday morning due to a calf issue. Uh, Sadiq in a competition with Chris Paul for the starting left guard job. It was Chris Ball, who on Thursday morning was with the first team offense during the early portion of practice. Uh, Also, we have a serious injury that has occurred at 2023 Commander's Training Camp. Head coach Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning, revealed that interior defensive lineman David Bada suffered a torn triceps during Wednesday morning's practice, and the commanders on Thursday afternoon did put Bada on the reserve injured list. Uh, The commanders on Thursday afternoon also announced the signing of the unrestricted free agent interior defensive lineman Curtis Brooks. Well, uh, there have been a lot of changes in the Washington, D.C. area media landscape recently. One of the worst changes was the Richmond Times-Dispatch letting go of Commander's insider Michael Phillips, uh, who covered the team for years, uh, was one of the smartest and funniest people covering the team. I've had Michael on this podcast plenty of times. Uh, Michael is going to be just fine. He already has done some work for front office sports, but I know that a lot of people have been missing Michael's coverage of Commander's training camp. And so I thought that it would be a good idea to get Michael on. And so here he is, uh, Commander's insider, Michael Phillips. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael P. R T D. He needs to change that Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, but Michael, it's great to talk to you. How are you?
4: Absolutely good to reemerge from time to time. Remind people I'm I'm not dead. Uh, just uh, just an hibernation. So yeah, no, I'm I'm sure the, the Twitter the the X will, uh, will change soon. Uh, X X gonna give it to you. And uh, yeah, we're uh, <laughs> you know we'll cook up some good stuff here. And uh, I'm I'm sure I'll reemerge at some point.
1: Yeah, Michael Phillips and Elon Musk, very tight. Few people know that, but it's the truth. (laughs) Uh, The elation generated by the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris group has been tremendous. I mean, the team for its open training camp practice this past Saturday morning drew an estimated 10,000 fans. What do you make of what's happening?
4: Well, I... And, you know, I, I think there's just everybody was waiting for what that moment would be, right? Would it be when they announced they sold the team? Would it be over the summer? Would it be the meeting? Um, and there was a lot of excitement on that meeting day. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, there's a football team and, and people get excited for the football. And, and I, I think I'm sure we'll go into it. There's very legitimate reasons to be excited and reasons I'm excited. And there's very legitimate causes for concern and trepidation coming in into this year I think it could swing either way for sure um, but it's it feels fresh in a lot of ways Sam Howell's fresh Eric Bi fresh the ownership situation is fresh people like football al uh, you know I did this the kind of insight that that you know has me highly sought after in the free agent field Pe- people want to root for a football team and people want to root for their football team and uh, they feel like they can again and and that's exciting
1: You co-authored a piece for Front Office Sports that came out on July 22nd, headline, quote, to fix the commanders, Josh Harris must win back Washington, end quote. How does Josh Harris win back Washington?
4: Yeah, and and, you know, we we quoted him in that piece. And look, this is not going to happen overnight. I I think that's the thing everybody needs to hear. They're selling a lot of tickets. You know, they're going to pack them in for that first game. It's going, the atmosphere will feel better. But it's, it's still going to be FedEx. You're still going to be driving to Lando. You're still going to be in that stadium. It's still a team that underachieved last year and, and a team that is several pieces away from the Super Bowl. So it, it will not fix overnight. Um, I think they understand that. I think they're working to communicate that um, while also enjoying the little pop-in popularity and, and sales that I'm sure will happen here, uh, which, which is good. It's good for everybody to feel the excitement. But in terms of winning back D.C., It's a new stadium. It's a new approach to the organization. Um, I think the reason I'm most excited for the Josh Harris group, I know I spend all my time talking about stadiums with people. I'm most excited that they seem to bring a very level-headed approach to building teams, to building from the general manager forward. Analytics is a word that means so many different things to so many different people. But just to, to broad brush it, they believe that you can get an edge by learning things that other people don't know. And they're going to invest the time and resources into finding those things out. And that should get you excited if you're a fan. It doesn't guarantee success. But but dang, if this isn't a really competent bunch that's taken over here.
1: It feels like, at the very least, the commander's process is about to get better. Do the results get better? Who knows? But the process, I think, is about to get a lot better The Commander Stadium situation, you know the situation very well. I've talked to you many times about the situation, especially as it relates to Virginia. Uh, The sale of the team certainly seems to have ignited what the team has always wanted, but never had uh, a true three-way bidding war between Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland for the new stadium. There certainly seems to be momentum for the new stadium being on the RFK Stadium site in D.C. like never before. Do you believe that that's where this is going? or not necessarily?
4: I consider RFK to be the favorite at the moment. I, I do. Um, if I were to put a percentage on it, that number wouldn't be 50. It would, it would be lower than 50. So, I'm, I, you know, it's Steve Kornacki here at the Big Board. I'm, I'm not speaking out of a position of confidence here um, because there are a lot of obstacles. And when they put out the prospectus that ESPN reported on a, a few months ago, they said, New Stadium 2031. And that, that caused a raised eyebrow for a bunch of people. I read that and I thought, oh, that means they want RFK. That's the only stadium that takes you that long to get. You can build in Virginia tomorrow. You can build in Maryland tomorrow. You can't build at RFK tomorrow. It's going to take a long time. I, I appreciate the excitement over the story that they're introducing the bill in the house. That is the first step of a lot of steps uh, between here and there. That's a long multi-year road. And I think the question for this ownership group is, how patient are they going to be? Because every year, Maryland's going to throw a pile of cash at him. Virginia's going to throw a bigger pile of cash at him. And D.C. is going to be difficult to work with. And, yes, they want RFK. They've done preliminary work around that site. They feel really good about what they could create there. But how many years can, can you do that for? How many years can you fight in the Senate for and fight in city council for and, you know, fight with the neighborhood for, and you know all, all the unique bidding structures and construction things that come with building in D.C. At some point, are the investors going to call Josh Harris and say, look, we got to start making back money. We put $6 billion into this thing. These loans don't pay themselves back. Go break some ground in Virginia. And I think the patience level is the big question here.
1: So I'm born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up with the Redskins playing home games at RFK Stadium. But I do not think that the next stadium has to be in D.C. in order for the next stadium to be a success. I think the D.C. thing is a little overrated. I do think that a new stadium in Virginia or Maryland could work, although a stadium in D.C. could be spectacular. I wholeheartedly uh, agree with that thought. But do you view the stadium situation as D.C. or bust?
4: Well, I I love National Harbor as a site, obviously. Oxen Hill is what we keep calling it. You know, I I don't think Landover functionally works for this team and its fan base and what they need out of a new stadium. I, 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 I get where it's easy. I think if it's Maryland, it's got to be National Harbor though. Uh, but I, I think you could have a perfectly successful stadium there that people would, would grow to love and enjoy. Uh, I think Northern Virginia is too expensive. Um, I've always liked Loudoun County as a site. I think it's too expensive. Um, it, it's not worth you know the cost it would take to build there. I do think that, that if you start going south, Woodbridge is really pushing it for, for some folks. I, I think that would I think that would be a struggle for a lot of people to accept. Um, but, yes, I, I see great sites available in, in Maryland and in Virginia and even elsewhere in D.C. Uh, I completely agree. There are, there are plenty of really good options available to you um, and that. Look, fans come to FedEx Field. They're going to sell out the opener. Um, Fans will follow. They will grumble, but, but they will follow. Um, I, I think the big thing for the RFK site is you talk about you've got a lot of big names in this group, not just Josh Harris, but Magic Johnson and obviously Rails and I and the, and the local group are, are big, big names in, in the D.C. community. It would be cool to build an RFK, right? It would be cool to build a place where the World Cup comes when it's here, where March Madness comes, where big college football games come. I think RFK is uniquely situated to provide that environment.
1: One more non-football topic for you. The name. (laughs) Uh, As you know, uh, the name issue is not going away. The Josh Harris Group, team president Jason Wright, Rod Rivera, all have indicated in various ways that another name change is a possibility. There also is this growing movement to go back To the name Redskins, Uh, I on episode 609 of this podcast had a conversation with members of the Native American Guardians Association or NAGA. Uh, a nonprofit Native American organization advocating for the commanders. To go back to the name Redskins, we over the last few weeks have heard members of the Harris group and also Ron willingly use the word Redskins. Although, and I did want to mention this, Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times seen a piece that came out on Wednesday had a quote from a commander spokesperson saying, quote, making a historical reference to watching and rooting for the Redskins does not signify a shift nor does it change the reasons for dropping the name, end quote. Bottom line, where do you think that all of this is going?
4: Sure, the, the name's not going to be Redskins. Um, wh- what I like, though, is for a while we were doing a weird dance. where like, we we're showing footage of Riggins running, and there was, you know, Commander's legend, Washington football legend. And I think it's okay to say, the Washington Redskins beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, and you don't have to not show that tape on NFL Network because of that. You can show the tape and still acknowledge that, that we're moving on here. Now, I think they're going to rename. I think it's going to be a different name. I don't think they want to rush into it. For the re- all the reasons I laid out earlier and I wrote about in front office sports there, this is a long process. We could be three years from now, and the team's not markedly better, and the stadium's not markedly better. And we're we're in a slog and they're still fighting over RFK. That's not unthinkable that we're three years down the road and all the progress is behind the scenes and not in front, and people are getting antsy. I think you want to leave that card in your back pocket to play late. Now, my favorite straw man argument here is well, what if they win the Super Bowl? Then you can't change the name. Great. Well then they've won a Super Bowl and we're all freaking happy. Like, what a weird hypothetical to talk about.
1: Yeah, I think that's a trade-off most people would make, even if they hate commanders. <laughs> <I'm in.
4: laughs> oh, oh Phillip, Phillips would be really salty. They can't change the name now. Like, no, he'd be happy. They won a Super Bowl. Come on now.
1: <laughs> that would that would be lovely. Uh, much more with Michael Phillips in moments as uh, we will get to talking actual football with the commanders. Uh, hey, them winning the Super Bowl would be great regardless of the team name. Uh, and what continues to be great is the law firm of Paulson and Ace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Uh, Paulson and Ace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you Paulson and Ace provides a passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Ace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Ace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, how about this? Two verdicts versus Merrill Dow, totaling 132. Million dollars. Yep, yeah, Polson and Nace has taken on big pharma and won. Uh Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh Bradley versus the United States of America. Polson and Nace won a case for which the United States government had to pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government (laughs) and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's Paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now with Commander's Insider Michael Phillips. Uh, Ron Rivera, essentially, by his own admission, is on the hot seat. He during a training camp press conference on July 25th admitted, quote, I've got a lot to prove, end quote, to Josh Harris. Uh, And then Ron, the next day, July 26th, after the first practice of training camp, said in a press conference that this coming season, quote, is a bit of an audition, end quote, for him with Josh Harris. Are you surprised that Ron has been as open? As he has been about being on the hot seat this coming season.
4: You know, I think it's, it's, it's tricky for Ron because I think he's on the hot seat both ways. I think that's why he's open to it. If, if they don't win this year, obviously Ron Rivera is not the football coach next year. Like, that's he doesn't need to dance around that. That's super obvious. If they're really successful this year, he might still not be the football coach next year. The enemy might be. Um, so I, I think he sees this is his last hurrah not to suggest he'll never get a head coaching job again but I, yeah I think he'll he'll he will certainly have a lot of doors open to stay in football if he wants to stay in football I think this is probably his last head coaching job you never say never obviously and there's interim assignments and things of that nature but I, I think he sees both ways lead to him not being the head football coach next year sit back and enjoy the ride
1: you mentioned Commander's Assistant Head Coach slash Offensive Coordinator Eric Bieniemy. You have attended 2023 Commander's Training Camp. One of the undeniable themes has been bieniemy him yelling at players, demanding attention to detail, making players redo huddles, et cetera. I love it. But for those who have not attended the team's practices over the years, how different is what Bieniemy is doing now as compared to, say, how Scott Turner did things as Washington Offensive Coordinator?
4: his his personality is is very different. now i would say there have been a number of secondary coaches that have rolled through here who have been equally vocal and demanding i don't know why that position seems to bring it out um but we we had raheem morris here and uh you know we we could run down the list there have been a lot of secondary coaches who have been very loud but the difference is they don't have the juice to stop practice right they can yell at their guys and, and get their guys going but they can't yell at the coach to stop practice so we can deal with the secondary. Uh, Eric Bieniemy can do that. He he can he has the power to sculpt things to to start things up to shut them down. Um, it look when you flame out the way these guys flame out this year, losing to the Giants, losing to the Browns with the playoffs on the line. The way the offense played in those games, my thought is you can't say Jack. Like you can't say anything Derek Bion to me like hey whoa like lighten up buddy!" like now because they blew it last year and uh you know they they had the chance to keep their guy Scott turn around and have a nice light practice they didn't um I don't know if it'll work or not but I know they can't complain about it
1: the two biggest wild cards for the commander's offense this coming season would seem to be the expected QB1 Sam Howell uh and this revamped offensive line in which wild card does Michael Phillips have the most confidence? <sighs>
4: Sam Howland,
1: that's scary.
4: Uh, <laughs> man, we were talking percentages earlier. My Sam Howell percentage is 50, you know, hovering maybe, maybe, maybe around 50. I, like, I think the defense is good. I think the skill pieces are good. I don't think you're going very far if that offensive line isn't good. And I don't think that offensive line's very good. I just, I, you know. I, I would I would love to see it. I would love to be proven wrong. That's happened before. And look, they may come out of the gate strong before attrition hits. I don't know what it's going to look like. Man, they're, I've got big issues left side to right side. I got, I love Charles Leno as a person. I don't understand how you think he's going to give you 17 games of NFL caliber football and why he didn't try to make a move there. I love Sam Cosby. I don't know what he's doing at right guard. This is ridiculous. I don't know what we're dealing with. Um, I, Sadiq Charles has always been very, very kind to me. Um, he's, he's way too injury prone. He's going to get hurt. And, and look, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't see it front to back here. Like there, there are plays where you're like, okay, I see it. I see the vision, but I just got way too many question marks left to right.
1: So you would have kept Samuel Cosby a right tackle.
4: I mean, I, I certainly understand why, to, you know, to get the free agents in, they, they had to shuffle it the way they shuffled it, but that's that's a big ask there, you know, switching positions, and I, I get that guard's easier, but I, I don't know that you're playing to your strength here. My, my fear is, in this quest for position flex, Al. We've ended up with five guys who can play all five positions and no guys who can play any one position well. <laughs>
1: that, that, that may be true, <laughs> but we know we know Ron loves his position flex. That has been made pretty clear. Yes he does. Uh so the reviews of Sam Howell in terms of his training camp performance have been all over the place. Do you think that Ron Rivera this coming season is more apt to stick with Sam regardless of performance given that Sam's a young quarterback with upside who could get better as the season goes on, and the team this coming season finding out what it truly has in Sam is what is in the best interest of the team? Or do you think that Ron will be quick to bench Sam if he struggles, given Ron's need to win in order to keep his job as head coach?
4: There are two records I think you could bench Howell at. One is Owen two. And I, I know I know that's early. Like I was going whoa, that's two games, that's early. But look at what the two are. I, I think just you're really in danger of the season going off the rails if you lose both if you lose the first two. Um, I think that's that's a potential danger zone moment. I don't think it will happen. I think they will win the opener, but I think Owen two it's legit cause for consideration. Um one and four would be the other number. If, if you're one and four, you're, you're staring down a really desperate situation. You know, that, that's where these guys were last year, um, understanding that that's the point where you either save your season or it sinks there and you go to one and five. If, if he can get even to two and three out of the gate, which is very doable, Al, even for him, even for this offensive line. I think, I think you let it ride and, and you let it go at that point and, and you see what you've got. And I agree that's best for everybody. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of pressure with this defense the way it is. I mean, you made a lot of big offseason changes in, in, with a statement that 8 and nine's not good enough. Um, you got to back that up.
1: Ron Rivera at his training camp press conferences has made it a habit of bringing up Jacoby Brissett when asked about Sam Howell. Uh, now, personally, I take that simply as Ron trying to perpetuate this idea of a quarterback competition and not just hand Sam the starting quarterback job. But do you think that there is a legitimate chance that Jacoby could be the commander starting quarterback in week one?
4: All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm not in the media right now, so I'll just speak freely out here well, uh, well, you caught me at, the good, at a good moment here. It's, it's really weird that we hear from Ron Rivera every day about a group that ron rivero really doesn't have control or authority over i mean it, it's not window dressing that eric Bieniemy's associate head coach assistant head coach whatever the title is it, he runs the offense he calls the shots he scripts the practices like it's very weird that then another person comes and speaks on behalf of that group and, and look i one is the head coach obviously but I think there's very little that Eric enemy could bring to Ron and get vetoed at this juncture. I think he's got pretty much a blank check to run the offense and script these practices the way he wants. He's the guy I want to hear from. And that's not to diminish what Ron's saying. Obviously, Ron's in the building. Obviously, Ron works with them every day. Obviously, he's very connected. But I just don't know that we're hearing from the authority on the matter
1: here. That's interesting. Do you think that benching the commander starting quarterback, whoever that is, is something over which Eric Bieniemy has control?
4: I think Eric Bieniemy cannot bench Sam Howell before Week One, but I think he will be able to after Week One. Wow! Um, and, and I give those two records that I would watch for zero and two and one and four as being the two times when you consider making a move. And I don't think they'll be there. I think they will be better than that. I don't think this will happen. But I. I, I think the enemy is committed to Sam Howell for week one. And I think in the, in the Tuesday meeting and the Monday meeting among coaches, I think his voice will be loudest.
1: The commander's defense, uh, it so far in training camp has looked really good. There is a lot of excitement with this defense for this coming season. Of course, the last time that we had a lot of excitement with a Washington defense going into a season, we got the oh so disappointing defense of the 2021 season. Especially given the offensive nature of the current NFL, in which doing defense has maybe slash probably never been harder, do you think that we need to be careful just assuming that the commanders' defense this coming season is going to be very good? Or should we have supreme confidence that the defense this coming season is going to be very good? One of the weird things about the NFL, as you know, Alan, it's only 17 games, it's a small sample size.
4: And so. You know, convince yourself. Walk down either path if you want. One is these guys didn't do a good job of forcing turnovers last year. That is a statistical fluke, and they will regress to the mean this year, and they will be even better at forcing turnovers. Two is they're not any good at forcing turnovers. That's a scary road to walk down. I choose to believe that in a small sample size league. You're going to have statistical aberrations. I think they'll be much better at producing takeaways this year. I think that will set the offense up for success, too, which will make everybody happy. Um, I'm choosing to believe that, yes, the hype is real. Uh, I, I think they will be in a much better spot this year. I Look, I am not treading new ground here. To tell you, I'm worried about the linebacking core. Uh Very worried. But um, the coaches don't seem to be. Uh, they don't seem to care, as a matter of fact. So uh, if they're going to let it ride, I'm going to let it ride.
1: Yeah, well, their solution seems to be just don't play linebackers and like they barely play <laughs> linebackers. So, you know, that's one way to attack the problem. Uh, Michael <laughs> Phillips, Commander's Insider. Great to catch up with him. Great to get his perspectives on these things. Uh, thank you. And uh, all the best to you.
4: Commander's outsider for the moment, but uh, but always enjoy being with you. We'll catch you soon.
1: All right, Michael Phillips, I hope that you enjoyed hearing from him. Uh, If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long, can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Well, there was a time not long ago that the Orioles were owned by the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the O's over their three previous regular seasons, 2020 through 2022, went a combined 16 and 32 against the Blue Jays. Well, the O's in this 2023 regular season now are 8 and 2 against the Blue Jays. Quite the turnaround. Uh, Thursday afternoon, a 6-1 win at the Blue Jays to win three of the four games in the series. And to, again, Joe Angel, be <laughs> in the win column.
3: And the Orioles, again, in the win column.
1: Oh, yes, the win column. Uh, the O's for this regular season now are an American League best 67-42, and 42. The Tampa Bay Rays did not have a game on Thursday, so the O's now are a full two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And the O's now are back to being seven and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays, who are third in the American League East. There was a lot to like from the O's in this 6-1 win on Thursday afternoon. Principal among those things to like, the Orioles' debut of Jack Flaherty. Uh, the O's past passed Tuesday, minutes before the 2023 MLB trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Acquired starting pitcher Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals for three prospects. Uh, the O's on Wednesday afternoon activated Flaherty and the O's on Thursday afternoon started Flaherty and he came through. Uh, Jack Flaherty in this 6-1 win at the Blue Jays allowed one run in six innings with eight strikeouts. What a job. His Orioles debut He just got to the team. I mean, he couldn't have been that prepared for this outing from a standpoint of knowing his teammates and, you know, really having true comfort with whatever the Orioles' game plan for Blue Jays batters was, but Flaherty went out there and performed well. Uh, He at one point retired 15 consecutive batters. He gave up just four hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks, and he threw a lot of strikes, 92 pitches, 61 strikes. Versus just 31 balls. So here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday evening on Jack Flaherty. Great breaking ball. Two breaking balls and a cutter. Um, a lot of swing and misses. Throwing it to 96 there in that sixth inning also. So he kept his velocity. Uh, sold out crowd here. Tough environment. And, and just loved the way he pitched. Yeah, how could you not? You know, Jack Flaherty in this regular season had mediocre numbers for the Cardinals. 20 starts, 109 and two thirds innings, ERA of 443, a whip of 155. That whip was especially concerning. He has put a lot of guys on base, but you know, also for Jack Flaherty in this regular season with the Cardinals was a babip allowed, a batting average on balls in play allowed of 346. Uh, that is a sky-high babip. League average BABIP usually is around 300. That Flaherty for this regular season with the Cardinals had a BABIP allowed of 346 suggested some bad luck. What I wondered when the O's traded for Flaherty was whether they saw things with him that made the O's, our analytically inclined O's, remember, uh, believe that this guy was better than his numbers suggested. I know that the O's thought that about Kyle Gibson, who the O's signed as a free agent this past offseason and who this season has done a pretty good job for the O's, all things considered. He hasn't been great, but he has been better than he had been. Well, you know, it's only one start for Jack Flaherty, okay? We're not going to go nuts, but maybe the answer to the question of did the O's see things in Flaherty suggesting that he was better than his numbers suggested is yes, we'll see. Uh, But man, I mean, hats off to Jack Flaherty for what he did in his Orioles debut. Good bullpen work by the O's in this 6-1 win at the Blue Jays on Thursday afternoon. Three Orioles relievers combined for three scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Danny Coulomb, a perfect bottom of the seventh with two swinging strikeouts. Yanir Cano, a perfect bottom of the eighth. And Mike Bauman a scoreless bottom of the ninth. The O's in this series pitched their ace reliever Felix Batista just once and yet won three of the four games in the series. Uh, And the O's in this series hit at least pretty well in three of the four games, including hitting really well in games two and four. Uh, Game two was that 13-3 win on Tuesday night, and game four was this uh, 6-1 win on Thursday afternoon. The O's on Thursday afternoon scored six runs totaled, 15 hits, worked three walks, and went four for 11 with runners in scoring position. Big game for Austin Hayes. Hazy, as Brandon Hyde calls Hayes. Uh, Hazy. On Thursday afternoon, as the Orioles starting left fielder and number seven batter went four for five with an RBI double, an RBI single, and two other singles. Uh, Hayes, in an Orioles two run second, had a one out RBI single through the left side of the infield for a one nothing Orioles lead. That RBI single concluded a nine pitch plate appearance in which Hayes was down in the count at 1.12, and Hayes, in an Orioles two run ninth, had a two out RBI double to left field for a 6-1 Orioles lead. You know, Austin Hayes was having a good season. He then had a horrendous July. Uh, Austin Hayes, for the month of July, had an OPS of just 4.46. That is brutal. (laughs) Very good to see Hayes do well on Thursday afternoon. Adley Rutschman, Uh, He, on Thursday afternoon, as the Orioles' starting catcher and number one batter, went two for five with an RBI single and another single. Uh, Rutschman, in that Orioles' two-run second, had a two-out bases loaded opposite field RBI single to left field. out of one-two pitch for a two-nothing Orioles lead, although Austin Hayes on that play did get uh, thrown out at home for the third out. But Adley Rutschman, for this regular season, is number two among all qualified Orioles in OPS. At 800. And then (laughs) there was the Blue Jays destroyer, the man who ravages Blue Jays pitching, Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, He on Thursday afternoon, as the Orioles starting first baseman at number five batter, went four for four with four singles and an RBI sack fly. Ryan Mountcastle, over the four games in this series, went 11 for 13 with four doubles, seven singles, three walks, and two RBI sack flies, and he had a stolen base. (laughs) But how about that? 11 for 13. Mountcastle for years has tortured the Blue Jays, and uh, that trend very much continued in this series. Uh, By the way, all three of the Orioles walks on Thursday afternoon were by one guy, Ramona Reyes. Uh, He is the Orioles starting third baseman and number eight batter went over two with three walks. Next up for the O's, a three game series against the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And of course, the Mets have, as their manager, former Orioles manager, Buck Showalter. Although, (laughs) the way that this Mets season is going, old Buck Buck uh, may not be Mets manager for long. We'll see. Uh, But game one, Friday night at 7.05, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me, the Podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 627. We'll have a lot for you on the Commanders and on the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series at the Cincinnati Reds. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series against the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. My fear is, in this quest for position flex, Al, we've
4: ended up with five guys who can play all five positions and no guys who can play any one position well. (laughs)
1: That that may be true, (laughs) but we we know Ron loves his position flex. That has been made pretty clear. Yes, he does. Position flex.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?